We are a community that loves like Jesus, and my hope and my prayer is that this would be a transformative space for you, not just today, but every time you tune in. Well, this morning, I want to continue to inform you just one more time of the change in rhythm that we're putting in place for our worship. If you join for our online broadcast, the sermon is going to be the same as live in person. That is different. Today's sermon is the same as Sunday morning in person at the church building. So it will follow the same scriptures and be the same message. Of course, for our online broadcast, I speak directly to a camera and then directly to a live audience in person on Sunday mornings. So I'm sure that there will be some differences. We're going to also follow the rhythm that includes our Sabbath Sundays. So we're going to be taking off the first Sunday of the month for rest. So the first Sabbath Sunday will be May 2nd. So on our Sabbath in-person Sundays, we will be offering an online broadcast and offering an evening time barbecue on our patio at the church building. We're also rebuilding our children's program, and some of you have given us lots of affirmation or are very excited about the changes that we've done so far. And we've been remodeling the children's area downstairs at the church building, so if you wanted to go down and look, you can when you come in person. We're also turning this area into a fun and clean and interactive environment for our younger kids. The older kids were working on rebuilding that program as well across the street at Symposium. So come down, check things out. There's lots of changes that we want to introduce you to. Well, we're continuing our sermon series called The Sermon on the Mount, and today's sermon is called Blessed Are Those Who Mourn. So today we're going to be looking at Matthew 5.4, and this is the second of the Beatitudes. Just getting right into it, it says this. Happier people who grieve because they will be made glad. Well, the NIV translation that some of you may be familiar with is this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So we're going to see that everything that Jesus says in the Beatitudes are unexpected. This is why the sermon series really is about the unexpected expert, Jesus. They're surprising. When we get into the actual meaning, they're super surprising. So first I want to cover, though, what the blessing here is. The word beatitude means blessing. Makarios in the Greek means a gift, or, or charis is a gift, that's the root word, and then charisma, that's the word we get from charis, or a blessing coming your way. This is the Greek word that means blessing. So in Jewish culture, a gift or a blessing is always connected to covenant, the covenant of God or covenant mentality of God. So keeping covenant is connected to blessing. Not keeping the covenant results in a curse. So in the Old Testament, a blessing was given for keeping and abiding to the law. Now there's two types of blessings in the Old Testament that we find. The first, you have the blessing in this world. So good health or good income, healthy family, prosperous life, things of the physical world. And then the second, you have the blessing in the kingdom to come, this afterlife kingdom or heaven. So if you keep a certain covenant with God, then you will receive a blessing in the afterlife. Yet in the, New, in the Old Testament, rather, most of the blessings are attached to the physical life. 
So if you walk with God, then you will receive victory, like victory in war or victory in military. You'll receive the kingdom. You'll have a, you have a blessed kingdom. You'll be on the promised land, let's say. But if you don't walk with God, then you'll be oppressed or off the promised land, under somebody else's control, what is called to be in exile, to be estranged from the promises of God. And the promises of God is that you would be on the promised land. You would, you would, have, you would be sovereign or you'd be prosperous. You would live in the land of milk and honey. But if you're exiled, then you have none of this in your life. You are cursed. And it's not like God is out like in the Old Testament cursing people. I curse you because you didn't follow the law. Like God is making them poor or making them defeated. It's like God in Romans that we learn God has a grieving heart. I am letting you go. So Jesus comes along in the New Testament in really these, the Sermon on the Mount, and he reorganizes God's blessing and curses in two ways. Well, first, all of his blessings and all of his curses that are stated are now future-oriented. We are to be living a life that is to be oriented towards heavenly kingdom, the future coming kingdom. And this is living the long story, not the short story, temporary on earth, but looking at the marathon race. The prize is, is in our sight at the end of this marathon race, the finish line. He's not denying that there is blessings and woes in this life. It's just Jesus is focused on the kingdom to come. Well, second, he takes the blessings and the curses of Deuteronomy 27 and 28, and he turns them upside down. So the curse, and this is what's called the upside down kingdom of Jesus. So the curses turn out to be a blessing, and the blessings turn out to be curses. Doesn't make sense, right? Well, Deuteronomy would say, blessed are you when you're happy and full of joy and have lots of money and, and things like that. And the Beatitudes would say, blessed are you who mourn. So that's pretty radical and pretty radical teaching in the first century. So Jesus, by doing this, actually, his authority is above the divinely inspired scripture. When he changes the law, basically, or he changes the blessings and the curses and puts them upside down, he's really changing things. He's putting himself, he's putting himself above that blessing and curse. He is ordering things. And this is why Matthew says that they were shocked. Exousia, he spoke with this authority. They were shocked by his authority. So this brings up an interesting question that I have at this point, that if we believe that the Old Testament is divine scripture, then how can Jesus come along and contradict scripture, divine scripture, with another divine scripture? How is that possible? Well, in the early church, they said that some of the scripture that we see in the Old Testament is not compatible to the scripture that we see Jesus gives in the New Testament. And since I'm an early church theologian, I would definitely agree with that statement. So the answer to that question is this. There are many, many Old Testament scriptures that do not apply and are not even relevant to some of the New Testament teaching or to our modern culture. And we need to think through that deeply and have a responsible response to those contradictions. So in the giving of the law, 
God in the Old Testament, God was stooping down to meet people where they were. This was the law of Moses. And in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, we see the law of love. It was much different. So what makes it through the law of love? Well, like in the Old Testament, they were very strict about food. But that makes it through the law of love. If you eat a certain thing or don't eat a certain thing, that does not get you in good graces with anybody. So food law is is one of those things that makes it through the law of love. The Jews were very, very orderly about what they would hold over people's heads and what they ate was one of those things. But yet in the New Covenant, it doesn't necessarily matter what you eat or not eat. It doesn't make you more or less saved. So food doesn't show more or less of God's love. And so the Jews wouldn't eat pork or they wouldn't eat meat sacrificed to idols. They're very strict about the meats that they would eat. Well, in the New Testament, we see that all things are open and not closed. So there's also, though, common decency with food practices that I think is very important to consider between people. And to look down on another person or remove relationship with others because of what they eat or not eat or what they drink or not drink, that's not an act of love. And there are certain religious groups that do this. Or there's just the simple mocking of people that do this, like people who eat meat are disgusting. And that's what the, let's say, the strict vegan would say. Or what's wrong with you? You don't eat meat? And that's what the the hunter would say. It's like the conversation that goes between the Portland vegan and the Idaho farmer. It's It just does not show love. Well, I bring those things up because not necessarily this happens in our circles. It hasn't necessarily been an issue in the ministries that I've had in recent years. They've been issues in other places, and I've been around a lot of sadness with those that do not have freedom in Christ. There's a lot of people who follow very strict Old Testament law, but there is freedom in Christ when it comes to non-salvational issues and matters like we're talking about today. So in any case, these practices, like the, the food law, it makes it through the law of love that Jesus instills. But things like murder, that doesn't show love, or lying or stealing, that doesn't show love. So the, the law sticks. It doesn't make it through that law of love. But bacon makes it through the law of love, and you can eat bacon and still go to heaven. And ultimately, the scripture teaches us how to show love. It's not necessarily what we ingest or not ingest. It's not necessarily these simple, everyday, common practices. It has to do with sacrifice. And in 1 John 3.16, it says this, this is how we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So why is this important? Why do I even bring this up? Well, Jesus is turning the Old Testament upside down. They would have questioned Jesus and his authority when he was turning these things upside down and he was li- they were listening to allusions of Old Testament uh, scriptures and law and that was being flipped on its head. They would have questioned their, his authority. They would have questioned Jesus' authority 
as they listened. So this also leads into a misinterpretation of the Sermon on the Mount. Some people think that this new covenant or this new sermon or this new law is a new behavior that we are to perform to get right with God. So in the Old Testament, we had the law to get right with God, right? That was the assumption. But now in the New Testament, we have this new law to get right with God. Well, remember that you can't behave your way into heaven. Scripture is very clear with that, and works do not work for salvation. So Galatians 3 tells us that we can't behave our way into heaven, and it also says the purposes of the Old Testament law was to show us how fallen short we were of God's perfection and glory. So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is actually giving what people are acting like in kingdom living. When you accept Christ and you have his spirit, this is the way that we are to be living. This is the way the spirit empowers us to be. And when you're right with God, these are the descriptions of a person that is striving to be Christ-like. So the Sermon on the Mount is the expression of the life that we have in the freedom of Christ we get to enjoy. So in this second blessed bees or the beatitude, the second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Well, that's unexpected because mourning is bad. When somebody dies, you mourn, you grieve. It's a sad thing. It's a state of sadness. Well, in Isaiah 61, the people are in Assyria in exile. That's the age and that's the um, that's the context of Isaiah 61. And God says to the people, all those that are mourning will be comforted. All those that are mourning, God says, I will comfort you. He says that exile is not permanent, but will come to an end and God will comfort them. So what are they mourning over? Well, the, the Israelites in, in, uh, in, in exile, they're mourning their sin. They're mourning their circumstances. They're mourning that they are not home. They're mourning they are in exile and off the promised land. They're an alien and stranger in this land. They're mourning that God's will is not being accomplished in their life. And and so God is not just talking about common everyday depression. The mourning that he is talking about is the mourning that people experience when they are on the outside. People experience this mourning in exile. It's the mourning of feeling outside of God's blessing or outside of God's right way of living. They're mourning their brokenness and their community is not set right with God. And they're mourning and waiting for God to show up and set the world right. So in 1 Corinthians, when Paul says, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord, and basically set the world right. Come, Lord, quickly, come. In 1 Peter 11, it says, Dear friends, since you are immigrants and strangers in this world, I urge you, 1 Peter says. In Philippians 3, it says, Our citizenship is not of this earth, it is in heaven. So we are not home yet. 
So we, in a sense, are in this temporary place called life. We are exiles. We are aliens and strangers in this world. Please don't fall into escapist theology at this point, where God is going to, let's say, save you from this world that is turning into a hell, turning into hell in a handbasket type of theology that you're going to blow off to some better place called heaven. Jesus, according to Scripture, is coming to earth. And heaven and earth, according to Revelation, will come together and be restored as it is in heaven. So until that end time, we are exiles because of what is created for us in the future. We have this future kingdom that is coming, and we are exiles because of that created future. And our orientation, as Paul says throughout his letters, is for that blessed future state. And because we know how the world is supposed to be, we are called to live out that future world in the present. We are to live the future kingdom. We are to bring heaven on earth. And so we know that the future will will be a the future will be just but the world is not just and we're called to remove injustices now and that is why we're aliens in this world we live in contrast to the world that we're walking around now so mourning this blessed are you who mourn mourning is the yearning for the future our mourning is the protest to the current state of affairs The practice of the coming kingdom is our status of mourning. And showing people this beautiful picture of reality is showing Christ's likeness and his love here on earth while we are in this temporary stay. Yet some people take this as meaning we are to live in a fortress, protecting our families and children from the public and not engaging at all with the world. And then not accepting how this, how this then projects in life is people don't accept the reality of the world and they don't fight for a better reality in the world. This fortress Israel model, we call it, where we build a fortress around ourselves where we're going to hide behind walls and not be in the world because we're afraid of becoming of the world. This fortress model makes us say things like, I don't see color or we're all just one race, the human race. Well, yes, in the coming kingdom, in the future reality, there's no male or female, Jew or Greek or circumcised or uncircumcised. In the church, we can strive for these things of equality, but for now, we have to have the hope that the future reality will come, but we have to live out by excising injustices. Because when we mourn, we look at the reality and say, this is not right, and we begin to do something about it. So if we see a people group or a marginalized person, we fight and we come alongside them and fight for their equality. We fight for their sustenance. We fight for their, and we use our tools of equity to help them to rise. So mourning is not just looking at with rose-colored glasses and humdrumming the world around us, and hopefully we 
blow off and nirvana our way into the future. That's a, that's a lie about the world, and that is not reality. That's a lie about the reality of the world. It is the reality on earth that when we strive to remove injustices because of our mourning, we bring a little kingdom come down to earth. So, blessed are those who mourn and involve themselves in making sure that women are treated as equals, and our mourning propels us and motivates us to use our tools of equity to ensure such things. Blessed are those who mourn and involve themselves with the houseless, and we use our tools to help them to find resources that will lead to food and shelter and warmth. Blessed are those who mourn and involve themselves in making sure that people of color are treated as equals and using tools of equity to ensure that that happens in this society, in our culture as we know it. Blessed are those who mourn and involve themselves in making sure that any marginalized group is brought into community, treated with the love of Christ, and are given a seat at the banquet table of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the blessing of your scripture. Lord, we desire that future kingdom come. So Lord, we say, Maranatha, your kingdom come quickly. Lord, we desire for you to make the world right. So Lord, help us as we are temporary aliens and strangers, that we are here on this earth, we're empowered by your spirit. Help us to use our tools to help those that are marginalized on the outside. They feel like they're oppressed or they, they are oppressed in this life. Help us to help others to rise. Lord, we love you. Lord, as we desire that you would make the world right, Lord, help us to be ambassadors. Lord, to be your hands and feet to make the world right. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.